The following podcast is for informational purposes only, and the opinions expressed therein are not necessarily those of Canal Insurance Company. This information is not designed to replace, substitute, or supplement our client's independent obligation to comply with any laws or regulations. Listeners should complete their own independent research in creation and development of their company's risk management and safety programs. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Holly Notes Podcast by Canal Insurance. I'm Marty Maroney, Director of Risk Management Services at Canal. And I'm Savannah West, Risk Management Analyst at Canal. This week's guest is Attorney Adam Brand. Adam Brand is a participating partner at Brand and Tapley LLC and has represented insurance clientele in all phases of first and third party coverage and litigation. He has more than 30 years of experience representing insurers, has conducted thousands of depositions and examinations under oath. Over the course of his career, Adam has developed a philosophy of aggressively fighting fraudulent claims, including the filing of complaints for declaratory relief, counterclaims, and restitution actions. Now let's roll. And Adam, I appreciate you joining us today. We have a lot of insureds out there that uh, unfortunately have some incidents. It's going to happen to the best of us. But uh, one of the things we see, though, is when they do have a loss and there's involves a tow company and cleanup and eventually some storage and things of that nature, um, we see those bills, bills and rates and uh, demands to get some of the vehicles released vary from all over the different parts of the country. Can you give us some insight on that and, and uh, what to look for and things of that nature? Of course. So my practice um, involves a lot of insurance companies forwarding to me these tow bills um, regarding recoveries. It may involve uh, not only the um, recovery of the vehicle, but there may be some hazmat uh, associated with that. And over the years, I would say over the past 25 years, uh, first of all, we've seen an increase in um, um, inflated or disputed um, invoices. Uh, that is invoices that are coming to um, the motor carrier or the uh, insurance company at very high levels. Um, and uh, this obviously is a concern. Uh, frequency has increased over that period of time. Uh, the amount of um, money that uh, is viewed as excessive is also increased. Um, I think the most disturbing issue though, uh, if you look at it from a national point of view, is that uh, there's become greater continuity as to how the towers uh, are um, undertaking activities that uh, inflate uh, an invoice or a claim, uh, and um, we're seeing things that are occurring on the West Coast and East Coast uh, being very similar, uh, and uh, there are some specific reasons for that, um, but that's, I think, one of the trends that has been most alarming over the past 10, 20 years. Wow, that's uh, so uh, what do you think is causing the trends? Is it more collaboration between the different groups of folks that uh, do recovery and certain things like that? Well, I do think we're talking about a minority of the towers out there. Um, right. So uh, with that said, you know, my practice is such that, you know, I'm seeing the bad side of, of, of the coin. Um, I think that the towing industry is very adept at communicating with each other uh, through different blogs and different uh, lines of communication. 
but probably one of the uh, greatest reasons for the shift towards continuity is that there's now training being provided to tow companies. Um, there are you know, particular entities out there that are advertising at tow shows or having set up their own training facilities that are giving uh, education to uh, the tow industry on how to write an invoice, how to uh, submit a recovery bill. And um, certainly from, I think, the insurer's position, they would argue uh, that these efforts have led to uh, an increase in rates, an increase in uh, the overall costs of the recovery and uh, has created an, uh, a situation where more of these bills are being disputed uh, because there's certainly a disagreement between the tower and uh, the motor carrier or insurance company as to what is a fair and reasonable charge. So uh, now I will get a recovery invoice and I can see if they've gone to the training because the formatting of the invoice is identical from uh, tower to tower. Um, the types of techniques that they're using, such as um, four-hour minimums or setup fees for rotators or ancillary charges, such as surcharges for bad weather or admin fees, are all now becoming much more common. Um, so what used to be kind of a rogue tower in a particular jurisdiction has now become, I hate to say, somewhat epidemic. Is that right? You said something I think is very important to emphasize, too, is that uh, we're dealing with a small minority group. There, there's a lot of good, hardworking folks out there that are in the recovery business and provide a valuable service and uh, really help people out when there is such an incident that requires their services. So uh, I can certainly understand that. We're, we're really focusing on this, on this minority group that um, has made uh, what appears to be a business out of uh, allegedly inflating some of these bills for sure. So in your practice and going through these different type of bills and things of that nature, you definitely can tell that there's some kind of continuity with towing schools and bills and things of that nature. Is that? Without a doubt. So they all follow the same uh, format um, and they're utilizing uh, very similar rates. They're using uh, the same basic scheme uh, that they're being trained to perform. So it's very easy to see sort of that um, profile or fingerprint on uh, these invoices. And uh, I think it's the insurer's job, along with the assistance of their um, insured and the operator, uh, to basically uh, re-engineer the invoice as to figuring out exactly what occurred with that tow and recovery. Um, and then, of course, determining what a fair charge is. So it's kind of a two-pronged test. What actually happened at the loss site? Um, um, were there, was the equipment that's on the bill actually there? Were the laborers, uh, supervisors actually there? Was the equipment actually used? And was it used for a time frame that's accurately represented in the invoice? That's one level of scrutiny that any of these evaluations needs to occur. And then the other level of scrutiny is, are you being over build relative to the rates. So is that piece of machinery uh, being charged uh, at a at too high a rate uh, for too many hours? Uh, and that's the second analysis of, um, of these uh, assignments. Right. So you said something really interesting there. Uh, number of vehicles at the scene, number of personnel at the scene. 
So if I'm a trucking professional, I'm requiring these services, what can I do to help um, confirm these things? So I think this is really a critical aspect to risk management. I think that um, first off, we're all always trying to pivot back to the operator to see what they observe. So I think that um, if you've got an operator that is involved in a tow and recovery situation and they're not injured and they're able to uh, stay on the scene, it's incredibly helpful for them uh, to take photographs, take photographs of uh, the vehicle uh, that's disabled and the terrain so that we can assess uh, whether this is a complicated recovery uh, or something that is not complicated. That may impact uh, you know, the hours that should have been utilized in the recovery. If there's been any type of spill, document that as well. Um, it would be helpful to document the responding vehicles that uh, uh, the tower has uh, or any uh, hazardous um, uh, uh, remediation company has sent to the scene. Uh, uh, document through photographs or by taking notes how many laborers there are. Oftentimes at these scenes, uh, a tower or remediation company will put paperwork in front of the operator's face and ask them to sign it. They should be very concerned about this for a couple of reasons. One is uh, they may be agreeing to terms uh, that they shouldn't. Um, their insurance contract may have provisions that do not allow them to enter into these agreements because they may be injuring the rights and, and privileges of the insurance company and therefore they could be breaching an insurance agreement by doing so. So they should be very hesitant to enter into these kinds of agreements. Sometimes these paperwork are assignments of rights Sometimes these, the paperwork are agreements to the cost of repair, uh, uh, excuse me, the cost of uh, the tow and recovery, uh, which may be at exorbitant rates. So they should be very careful about that. I think another important thing that they should document is uh, when the, um, when the tower uh, and when the equipment arrived and when they left the scene, uh, because that will help us understand uh, the total amount of time that the recovery uh, was in place. So there's a lot of information that the operator can provide that is very helpful in analyzing whether that invoice is both accurate and fair. Seems like there's a, it could be a very confusing time when you're at a loss and or uh, an incident scene and a lot going on. And I could see where they would put some papers in front of you and, and ask you to sign and uh, uh, you're, a hard way to look at it is you're almost hostage a little bit too, right? You're up to, you know, for them to continue to work, they might use that as leverage to, um, you know, either cease working or, or delay the process, I would think too. Um, is that something you see too? Well, um, it's funny that you should use the word hostage. I think that um, throughout the entire process, the motor carrier is in a difficult situation. Um, so, Complicating these um, accidents uh, may be the fact that there's cargo involved uh, and uh, that cargo uh, needs to get to some place and that cargo may or may not have been destroyed in that accident. So that is something that requires a level of expediency. Uh, for many owner operators, that tractor is their lifeblood. They need to get that uh, fixed back on the road uh, so that they can um, uh, uh, make a living. Uh, and, and that creates a level of urgency. Uh, I, I do also believe that the insurance company uh, has um, 
needs as well that uh, create urgency, such as um, getting their salvage, um, just closing all lines uh, and uh, issues related to that claim. So there's a, uh, the clock is always ticking. Uh, but getting back to the word that you used, hostage, I wanna also note that um, once the tower has performed services in recovering that vehicle, they then have a mechanics lien uh, for that vehicle. So when they transport that tractor, that trailer, and possibly that cargo back to their property, uh, they're lawfully entitled to hold that property uh, until their bill is paid, each day collecting storage. Now, if you're presented with an invoice that is unreasonable and may also be fabricated to some degree, uh, uh, it is maddening to then not be able to recover and gain release of the tractor, the trailer, and in some states, the cargo as well. Um, so that's why uh, we often refer to this as, you know, piracy or uh, a hostage taking in, in these situations. Um, there are legal means of gaining lawfully the release of that, uh, the tractor, trailer, and cargo, but you must recognize that that tower has a right to hold on to it unless and until either the bill is paid in full or those legal remedies are undertaken to gain forcible release of the um, chattel. I got you. Well, good, I appreciate you giving us some insight on that. Um, I think we touched on a little bit before, but what are some of the common tactics used to increase charges um, by recovery services? So I think it starts with the phone call where they have uh, typically been dispatched by a police barracks. Uh, they are part of a recovery uh, a rotation list and they get the call. So uh, the question then becomes what equipment do they send out to the site? Uh, frequently, um, uh, they send out uh, much more equipment than is reasonably necessary, nor do they send out somebody to evaluate the scene and then call back to the shop and uh, make a determination as to what's appropriate. So as a result, you are then confronted with a whole lot of equipment that you're now responsible uh, that has been sent to a scene that you're now paying on an hourly basis until that recovery is completed. I think that some of the other important methodologies are uh, four hour minimums, where even if the recovery took less, you're gonna be charged that. Um, we're now seeing a shifting uh, invariably, you know, a decade ago, uh, if there was a wreck, you would have a wrecker sent to the scene. Now, uh, you are always seeing rotators being sent to the scene. And this is basically just a crane that you can drive to the scene. Uh, oftentimes, uh, it is more than one rotator that is sent to a recovery for that recovery. Uh, these are frequently being billed out as much as $1,500 per hour. And one of the other methods that is being used is that there is what they refer to as a setup fee for those rate traders for the first hour. Uh, that setup fee is usually billed at a higher rate than $1,500 an hour. And in order to position that rotator, it really only takes about 15 minutes to set out the outboard arms and st make stabilize the unit. So the fact that you're being billed uh, an exorbitant rate 
at a premium charge more than the regular standard hourly rate for 15, mount, 15 minutes worth of work rather than the hour that they're charging you is a bit of a scam. Um, the labor charges are extensive. I mean, you're talking about uh, people that may have, um, uh, and, I, and I, it's not pejorative, but they may not have more than a high school degree, but have gone to 60 hours of HASWOPER training and are billing out at $250 an hour as a supervisor or a laborer uh, at over $100. Um, you're seeing surcharges for weather. And this is kind of something that I find to be particularly maddening. Um, uh, towers have a very good story to tell um, uh, in that they are first responders. They are going out 24-7 uh, frequently. Um, uh, they may be involved in situations where um, uh, there is hazardous material that has been let loose. There are there may be blood in the um, uh, that they're having to confront with. Uh, it may be night or cold or bad weather, but that's the job they signed up for. And those uh, those rates that they're charging should incorporate that reality. Um, but now, as a mechanism to increase the invoices, we're seeing uh, uh, additional surcharges as much as 25% for inclement weather. Um, I kind of equate this to the pilot uh, doesn't get paid more if they fly through turbulence. That's their job. Um, in addition, every bit of overhead is being um, transmitted from an overhead charge to an, uh, something to put on the, um, uh, on the invoice. So an example of that might be communication. So they're billing you separately for headsets that they're communicating with their other laborers at a scene um, and as if they are, it's a one-use item. Obviously, you're not throwing out headsets every time you use them. Um, they're billing for chains. They're billing for gate fees. They're billing uh, an admin fee, which uh, can be, you know, typically 10% of the total bill. Um, and that administration fee is, is primarily them preparing an invoice that they send to you. Well, that's an overhead charge and shouldn't be incurred by the motor carrier, you're insured, uh, or, or you. So many of these techniques uh, are um, uh, being utilized, or to put it a different way, all of these techniques are often being utilized on a given invoice. Well, going uh, back to the, the equipment charge, so if I heard you correctly, they're using, so let's just use the headset example. So they have, you know, half a dozen headsets out there that they're using. They're actually, some of these folks are actually charging those as replacement costs for the headsets, not reusing them at all. Well, I'm sure they're reusing them at all, but they're charging on the invoice, a new invoice, a new headset for every employee that was allegedly there utilizing that a headset. So you'll get, uh, you know, let's just say that it's $200 for an ed a headset, you'll get a bill for um, uh, for $1,600 because there were eight people there uh, utilizing a headset. Same thing with chains, You're being, you know, as if they're replacing the chains that they use. We're always seeing um, um, new additional charges for uh, for boots and uh, other types of uh, equipment. Uh, so it's... Uh, you know, I would contend that that is overhead and it's a way of just jacking up your 
uh, the uh, invoice. Well, I would agree because the chains and uh, headsets and things like that are, are definitely reusable. And uh, sounds like they're just putting those uh, uh, back in their fleet, but charging for the replacement cost. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, as, as listening to you, to you talk us through this, though, there's a lot of little details that could be overlooked um, when those bills come in. So um, it does take a, a keen eye to look through all these and make sure it all is adding up. Um, how about at, uh, if, if I'm a trucking professional, Matt, am I at the scene and, and we've already talked a little bit, you know, try to document the types of vehicles and who's there and things like that. But, um, uh, you know, what else should I do as, as, as far as trying to get help with this? Um, well, I think that uh, certainly uh, you need to um, notify your agent or insurance company immediately uh, in, in uh, uh, I think that that's uh, a necessary uh, requirement of the policy, but also your agent and or insurance company may be able to assist you and walk you through the process. Again, I think documentation, documentation is very important. So I think that having eyes and ears on the scene during a recovery is, is critical uh, so that we can then uh, match up what's being told in the invoice and the narrative of that invoice to reality. And uh, your, um, your operator is going to be a key element to that. Um, in addition, we've had cases now uh, where GPS and utilization of ECM um, has been very helpful in documenting um, uh, the time that occurred. So we'll have, as a result of that, uh, data, uh, a time as to when the accident occurred. And then we'll also be able to identify when the vehicle was moved from the accident scene uh, to the uh, to towers location. So that can be extremely helpful in determining uh, the timeframes involved. Uh, we try, if that's not available, we try to uh, obtain this information from communicating with the responding uh, police officers uh, obtaining their police reports and sometimes the police logs even to determine when they were dispatched, when they arrived, when they left the scene. Sometimes uh, all of that data is not necessarily contained in the police report and it requires um, a little bit um, more gumshoe to, um, to obtain that. I got you. I, I wouldn't have thought about the GPS in the vehicle or the um, even the ELD might be able to send you a signal of what, where that vehicle is and things of that nature that helps timestamp where it's at. I imagine, uh, uh, you know, cell phone records too, uh, call, you know, the, if you made a call for, for help and recovery, that all helps set that timeline as well that might um, help box in the actual hours of service. Um, it does. It does. And that, that, that will assist in that. Uh, the other thing is there may be conversations that are occurring uh, between your insured or their operator and uh, the tow company. Um, you know, when we get on the scene, and that may be a couple of weeks after the loss, and we're trying to uh, find out what has been uh, said, um, it's always a good idea to make notes, you know, um, uh, uh, relying on someone's um, memory. Uh, it always fades over time. And if, um, if, uh, your insureds could be trained to just be making notes relative to these conversations. Uh, they'll have something to refresh their memory and document 
the communication that occurred. Yeah, that's all interesting. Good, good tips for us, for sure. Um, it can get really complicated out there. And just like you said, yeah, things, uh, pe- people's memories fade over time, for sure. Uh, the trucking carriers that have that are um, well prepared when there is an incident at the scene, what can they do to help prevent some of this? Yeah, well, I think that we've gone over a number of those issues. Certainly, I think that um, uh, training uh, their drivers to um, understand that this is uh, an important event that needs to be documented. I think that one of the concerns uh, or issues that arise is that obviously they need those vehicles back in service as soon as possible. There are um, uh, policies where there are limits uh, to towing and um, and recovery, uh, and as a result, um, the insured uh, could be underinsured or uninsured for a particular portion of this. Um, and I mentioned before that lien that the tower has. Uh, when that vehicle is in their possession and they, that bill is not paid, in many states, that tower has the right to sell uh, that tractor or that trailer uh, to compensate them for the services that they rendered. So, you know, if you're running a business and it involves trucking operations, you know, you want that vehicle back and you want it back in service. So you need to implement uh, a approach to these um, accidents and recoveries that is going to uh, allow for the vehicle, uh, for you to get the vehicle back quickly and avoid the situation where you're uninsured, underinsured, or that tower is selling your equipment uh, to, to get paid. Um, so I think those are important considerations for any carrier. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it sounds like uh, basically coming down to you know, a lot of training, education, having a well-thought-out plan before you even hit the road. But one thing you, you really mentioned was prompt reporting of that claim, that incident, to your insurance carrier, too. That's something we really take uh, very serious here at Canal because the quicker we can get involved, the quicker we can help. Uh, with all different types of um, issues that are result from an incident. So uh, I couldn't agree with you more that prompt reporting to a claim, uh, an incident to your insurance carrier is very, very important. Um, and, you know, if I can just interrupt, sure. you know, uh, I think that, you know, in some instances, um, businesses may be hesitant to uh, report claims to their insurance carriers, or maybe they don't think it's important. In this particular type of claim, uh, what we see is that uh, the interests of uh, your customer, the motor carrier, and the insurance company are aligned. They don't want to be overbilled uh, and ripped off uh, for recovery, and neither do you. And in addition, uh, the insurance company uh, typically uh, is, is, has a lot of ex- experience and expertise in this area or knows people uh, in the industry that do. Uh, so while... Um, uh, you know, your customer may not know whether that bill is inflated or improper. Uh, you uh, at Canal and the people that you're associated with will be able to figure that out and will be able to assist your customer. So I think that uh, it is all the more important uh, to get you notification of the loss as soon as possible. That's an excellent point. I'm glad you brought that up. Some folks are hesitant to 
report a claim because they're worried about their rates or uh, they don't want anything on their insurance loss run or anything like that. But the, the downside of that is um, many times the insurance carrier gets brought in really late and it's a, it's a lot harder to provide those services that uh, insurance carriers are paid to do. And that's to get the best outcome for their insurers and, and, and resolve things fairly and uh, ethically. But if, if the insurance carrier is delayed, they're in the hole. And uh, these folks that have been trained to um, you know, do these services and bill in these methods, that's uh, even better for them. The, the, I would imagine the bigger distance they can get between uh, the time of the incident and then the time of the report of the claim from folks that are going to try to help. Is that uh, fair to say? It is fair to say. And, and you know, each day that goes by, that tower is going to claim more and more storage. And you should recognize that that storage is billed per unit. So it is not uncommon if you've got um, a tractor, a trailer, and perhaps cargo that has been offloaded to another vehicle uh, that uh, you're being billed $450 per day in storage. So um, the tower is incentivized to drag his feet. Uh, the tower is continuing to view this a bit as a piggy bank that allows them to get more and more money. Uh, and, um, uh, and in addition, you know, the insurance company and the motor carrier need to act swiftly and want to act swiftly and are incentivized to do that. Um, there are, I have seen some policies in the industry where it's ambiguous as to whether storage is actually covered under a particular insurance policy. So that might uh, also be the responsibility of the particular motor carrier in a given uh, situation, uh, which further uh, um, underscores the importance of getting notice to your insurance company so this matter can be resolved as soon as possible. That's great. I always think of storage kind of like a, a, like a power meter or, a, you know, just a meter, I guess, you know, in, a, in a taxi or something like that. It gets continuously runs. Each day that goes by, it runs. And uh, sometimes they round it up. If you pull it out in the morning, you're still paying that full day. Um, it just uh, keeps moving. So time is of the essence to get in there and try to get these resolved and, uh, and get the vehicles back. Um, and I think of that in the same way and picture it the same way as you as that taxi meter. But I think this brings up a very important issue, and that is abandonment. Uh, and whether um, an insurance company or an operator can uh, basically try and walk away from this loss and, uh, and recovery and say, well, I don't want to have anything more to do with it, keep my truck, uh, my tractor and my trailer, and, and I don't, don't want to pay you. Um, there's no, typically in most jurisdictions, there's no permissible, um, uh, you're not allowed to abandon a vehicle. Uh, so while you may want to put your head in the sand and not deal with the situation, um, that tower in all likelihood will lawfully be able to charge storage forever until this matter is resolved one way or another. So you can't ignore storage and ignore the situation. Um, it will only come back to haunt you. Uh, the one element of this dispute that is usually um, very difficult to fight over is the storage fee. You may be able to argue that they're charging you too much for storage, 
but that tower is going to be able to walk into just about every court in the country and get paid for storing your equipment on their property. So abandonment's not an option. As a result, uh, you need to be proactive, and it's just as simple as that. Yeah, that abandonment clause, uh, the statement, that's uh, that's interesting. So I could see where people would think that. Well, it's uh, let's just use round numbers. So let's say my vehicle has a value of about $10,000. I'm facing a $20,000 recovery fee and some storage already. And I just say, well, it's not my, it's not worth it to go get that vehicle. I'm just going to walk away from it. I can't do that. Right. They can still, I'm still responsible and that meter is still running until we resolve things. Is that a good way to define abandonment? Absolutely. That's absolutely. That's a perfect way. And that's exactly right. And it frequently involves vehicles that are total losses as well. Uh, So, um, but nonetheless, uh, storage will continue to accrue uh, until uh, those um, uh, pieces of equipment are removed from that facility. Uh, and there's really two uh, or three ways of, of lawfully gaining removal. Um, one option is to pay under duress. Uh, you're um, agreeing to disagree. Uh, you view the invoice as improper for whatever reasons, um, but you are uh, paying under duress. You are preserving your rights to dispute the claim later uh, but because you've paid the amount of the invoice. You're entitled to the equipment back. Um, now, uh, it requires you to then chase your money, um, but you can then sue them. You can continue to negotiate, but at least your equipment Uh, has been returned and storage has been eliminated. Uh, The other alternative is if you don't want to pay, then you need to get a lien, you need to get a bond filed or a pleasant bond, which will allow you um, to exchange the bond for the equipment. The bond will protect the tower to getting paid what is determined ultimately to be the fair sum. uh, And as a result of that protection, they are obligated to then release the equipment. That may be done either by agreement, which is fast and quick, or you may have to go to court to do that. But either way, those are the means of getting the tractor trailer and cargo released from the facility so that um, the claim can be closed, the salvage can be salvaged, the uh, equipment can be repaired, and the storage can come to an end. Going back to paying under duress, uh, what what would be a good way to protect yourself from doing that? Because I would imagine that if I'm, let's just use round numbers, uh, simple numbers again, it's a $5,000 recovery bill. I've got to get back out on the road. Um, I'm just going to pay it so I can get moving and I'll deal with it later. But is there any type of a, a note I should make on the, on the service bill on paying or anything that might help me later on? That's an, no, that's an excellent question. And if you just pay uh, the invoice without making any type of notations or putting the tower uh, on notice uh, that you're disputing the claim, then uh, you may have waived your rights. Um, but um, in order to preserve your rights, uh, what you would want to do is make the check out for the full sum, put on the check, on the face of the check, that it's being paid under duress. And it's a good idea uh, to send that with a letter 
that disputes the claim and indicates that the only reason that you're making this payment is to gain release of the vehicle under um, a amount that is in dispute. Once you've done that, the vehicle can be released and you can at your leisure assess whether you want uh, to continue to negotiate and demand money back, or if that's unsuccessful, pursue other uh, legal means. That may be uh, to sue them, it may be to pursue arbitration or mediation, uh, but you can uh, choose to um, dispute that claim at a later date when the pressure is not on and storage is not accruing. I gotcha. And then the second uh, remedy you mentioned, at least temporary remedy, is the bond. And what would what are the steps again for that? How would how would that work? Sure. So let's just take the situation where the amount in dispute is a lot of money. Okay. Uh, $50,000, $100,000. We see these bills that are uh, six digits, uh, a lot of uh, huge invoices for these recoveries. And let's say that uh, we think that the actual fair recovery was $30,000, not $100,000. Well, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to pay over $100,000 and chase your money for such a large sum while they're collecting interest off of it. So in those circumstances where it's a big bill, we advocate uh, that we um, try to file, uh, obtain a bond and substitute a bond for the vehicle. So the steps are, uh, can be simple or complicated depending upon your adversary. We found that with a number of the towers across the country, we're able to negotiate a bond amount uh, that's uh, going to protect the tower. Uh, that then, we then obtain a bond from a bonding company, uh, which can be as quick as a 24 hour uh, turnaround process and then file the bond or provide a copy of the bond to the tower or their attorney. At that point, the release of equipment occurs. You still have the dispute. Nothing's happened with the dispute. And uh, you are then free to pursue whatever avenues the two parties can agree upon in trying to resolve that dispute. That may mean negotiation. If negotiation fails, that may mean what we refer to as alternative dispute resolution, where we may uh, agree to arbitration or mediation. That will be a quicker solution and a less expensive solution. Or it may mean uh, a full-blown lawsuit that's filed. That lawsuit could be filed by the tower against the motor carrier and or the insurance company. Or it may be filed by the insurance company on behalf of itself and the motor carrier relative to um, what they consider to be an inflated and improper tow invoice. Um, sometimes I would like to just add that the dispute is not simply about um, a rate that's being charged or a piece of equipment that is being charged. Uh, sometimes we're finding out and out fraud. And by that, I mean um, services that are being billed for that were never rendered. An example of that might be that five laborers went out there, but they're charging you for 10. Or um, uh, so many hours were being charged, but they only uh, handle 25% of those hours. So in those circumstances, uh, we're not just two uh, businesses disputing uh, what a fair bill is. There, uh, we're claiming that uh, one of the tower is defrauding us. And when those lawsuits are filed, uh, they may include different types of allegations that will address those fraudulent behaviors and have um, uh, seek different types of remedies as a result of that. 
So, so if you have one that goes all, all the way through the litigation process, just like you mentioned, and uh, there's dispute over if there was any involvement of this certain parts of the bill and things like that, does, where does the burden of proof fall on that? Is it the, the person making the claim that has to prove that these items weren't there, or is it the person that's billing for it, or the entity that's billing for it have to prove, yes, we used all this equipment? How does that work? So um, it's always the case that whoever files suit is going to have the first burden of proving their case, uh, and then it'll shift to the other party to, uh, uh, to meet their burden relative to the defenses that they're uh, employing. Um, so when we talk about litigation, um, uh, litigation can be time consuming and it can also be expensive, but there's also some positive things about litigation. First of all, you're entitled to discovery, uh, which may be in the form of depositions. So frequently, uh, if there is a lawsuit, uh, I'm taking the depositions of uh, the owner of the towing facility, trying to uh, uh, have them establish uh, where they came up with these rates, uh, whether they have different rates for different customers in different circumstances, and the rates that have been applied to this recovery are higher than what they normally apply. Uh, we're looking for documentation that um, contradict or support uh, the invoice as far as the equipment that was used. That may uh, mean timesheets and, and um, um, uh, punch in records for uh, employees. It may mean a variety of other things. So uh, the case gets more detailed when there is litigation, uh, which is a positive thing. I think the other byproduct of, of litigation or at least any form of pushback in these circumstances is deterrence. So um, what I can assure you is there are uh, transportation companies and there are insurance companies that are targets of uh, these unscrupulous minority uh, group of towers uh, where uh, they will uh, be preyed upon. And unless and until uh, they stick up for themselves and push back on some of these inflated and fabricated invoices, uh, they are going to get more and more inflated and fabricated invoices. Complicating the matter is that, yeah, you will remember that I said that these towers communicate very closely with each other. Uh, and we've seen many examples where you'll have a tow and recovery bill paid, uh, and uh, that is communicated uh, to towers throughout the country through various blogs, and that gives them basically intelligence that allows them to understand which insurance companies uh, pay 100 cents on the dollar and don't push back on these claims and which uh, carriers uh, do push back. Uh, as a result of scrutinizing these invoices and paying only that which is fair, you are developing a level of deterrence that will prevent you in particular from being preyed on not only by that towing facility, uh, but by others because the word will get out. Wow. So there's a, you mentioned it a couple times. There's a, definitely a communication process uh, all throughout the country of, of who does what and, and how things are being resolved and what rates are being paid and things of that nature, it sounds like. Uh, that is correct. And in addition, um, you're seeing that the facility that is providing training in this area is also being asked to provide expert testimony. As a result of that, you are seeing 
that the rates that one tower puts on their invoice in New York are becoming identical to the ones that are occurring in Colorado or Wyoming or LA, despite the fact that the circumstances of the recovery, the circumstances of that geog geographic area are very different. And those rates are not fair and reasonable rates that I'm talking about. These are inflated rates. So that level of communication uh, has resulted uh, back into the, um, the level of continuity that we're seeing from tower to tower across the country in how the game is played and how the invoices are, are prepared. And um, as a result, that tends to make things more and more difficult for the motor carrier and the insurance company to fight these matters. I can certainly see that. Just putting it uh, in, in perspective, this this has a, all these costs and everything just have a big impact overall. And, and I would imagine that from an insurance perspective, if these big recovery fees and things like that result in uh, inflated uh, expenses that need to be paid and, and, uh, and ultimately it uh, causes premiums to go up as well. Um, Savannah, what... Uh, what do you think of all this is kind of an interesting part of the, the business we're in and it's very, very. So Adam, if you could, and I know Marty's probably going to cover this after we all hop off when he does his introduction. Um, but I just wanted, if you could just take a minute just for our viewers, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in the industry, uh, just so the viewers can kind of get a sense of you um, from your perspective. Sure. I've been practicing for over 30 years. Our practice is a national uh, insurance defense practice. We specialize in investigating suspect insurance claims in, in basically all lines of insurance. Uh, as a result, I have numerous um, clients that are uh, in, um, insurance companies that specialize in trucking uh, and transportation um, mm -hmm. and uh, do this all over the country. As a result, um, what we've been discussing here uh, uh, in towing and recovery is just one example of the kinds of claims that we're asked to assist in investigating and providing legal guidance on and then uh, um, litigating when necessary. Um, so it could be a theft loss, a cargo loss, a fire claim, uh, anything having to do with transportation, bodily injury claim, casualty claim. Uh, property claims. And because we uh, are engaged in, in a practice of uncovering fraud, uh, these uh, disputes over invoices that are inflated and sometimes fabricated is a um, natural uh, uh, element of our practice and, and what we do. What would you say if you had to pin down three things um, that's the most important thing for an owner op to do in the event of an accident. If you had to pinpoint just three things, what would that be? I think the first thing is be prepared. Um, and by that, have a game plan in advance of, a, of an accident uh, that you uh, recognize that you're going to need to employ uh, if there is uh, such a situation where you have uh, a tow and recovery. Uh, recognize that um, it is fertile ground uh, for being ripped off so that you want to uh, do some of the things that we have talked about today. Take photos, uh, take notes, uh, observe what's going on, make notations as far as the time. You may end up having some responsibility for those costs that are not covered under the policy. So it's within your interest to do that. 
second thing I think I would say is speed. Um, you know, time is always working against us. So um, act quickly, notify your agent, notify uh, Canal, um, jump on this uh, so that um, you can bring the people that have experience in these type of claims uh, to your assistance and they can work with you and for you uh, to uh, resolve this matter swiftly. Um, and I think the last thing uh, is this is a very sort of contentious area. These disputes are, are difficult and uh, they just may require other parties to get involved to help you uh, resolve these matters um, and that um, you do not want to become prey. Uh, you want to deter these types of shenanigans uh, and as a result, uh, work with uh, your insurance company uh, to uh, deter this kind of conduct. That's great. That's great. And then we've gone over, you know, so many great ways uh, just to prevent towing fraud and just discussing that today. Uh, and just again, for our viewers, if you had to pinpoint just uh, this time, just one thing um, that's probably the most important thing you can do um, as an insured to prevent um, potential towing fraud, what do you think that would be just the number one thing? Well, I guess, I, again, I think it comes down to uh, you're the eyes and ears at the scene. So to the extent that you can document what is occurring, uh, that is going to greatly assist uh, the insurance company in uh, resolving this matter. You won't be able to, you know, if they're overcharging you for the rate, then that'll be something that the insurance company can fight for you. Um, but just verifying what occurred at the scene is, uh, is huge. And uh, if they can undertake uh, those efforts, that is going to put everyone in a much better position much earlier. Definitely. Well, thank you so much uh, just for all your time today. I know Marty, his soul is just thrilled having you with us. I'd like to second that, Adam. I really appreciate you taking your time. This is some great insight. And uh, our insurance will definitely uh, appreciate all the uh, expertise you've provided today. So thank you very much. Most welcome. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Adam as much as we did. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Hauling Notes. Want to make sure you never miss a Hauling Notes episode? Head to the link in the show notes to sign up for email notifications.